0: Hey everyone, it's your second favorite co-host from Catching Foxes, Gomer. Luke, unfortunately, has been sick like all week. I just talked to him a few minutes ago. He said it's the worst he's ever been since being an adult. The sickness is just owning him. He's got the man flu. Poor baby. So we couldn't record an episode this week. We couldn't record a Christmas spectacular. I feel really bad about that. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay up extra late. I'm going to ignore my wife and my kids. And I'm going to invest in a short podcast just for you guys. So open up your mouths, baby birds, because mama's going to feed you. You know, all of us since summer with the horrible summer of scandal and all the craziness that has happened with letters and archbishops and bishops being fussy pants and clergy and everything and Twitter and the and the horribleness that is Twitter and then the YouTube horribleness, all this stuff going on in the church has made me so sad about the church. It's made me so, I just feel so freaking frustrated with all this stuff. But, but I have seen amazing rays of light shining forth, and I just wanted to share some of them with you, right? Couldn't we use a little bit of happiness this Christmas? So here's some happiness, okay? I don't know if I even shared this on Catching Foxes, but one day I'm walking into the prison, and the Jewish group flags me down And says, yo, Josephus, that's their prison nickname for me, will you come and teach us about Hanukkah, especially the Maccabean revolt and everything around that? And I said, let me get this straight. You want me, the Roman Catholic, to teach you, the Orthodox Jews, about Hanukkah? And they said, yes. So two weeks later, I go back and I have dozens of pages of articles from everyone's favorite reference book, the Jewish Encyclopedia Online. And I have every single king, prince, Princess, queen, from the Maccabean revolt, the whole family of Mattathias, Maccabee, all the way down the what we call the Hasmonean dynasty, printed all out, created as a reference that can be left in the Jewish section of the prison library. And then I give a presentation on it. Now, as a Roman Catholic, I am sensitive to my older brothers in the faith, historically, right? Christ says salvation is of the Jews. We know this. And so I want to approach the topic with sensitivity. Now, they agreed to join the Catholics, and everyone was going to listen. So I tell the great story of Braveheart of the Bible, right, the Maccabean Revolution. Mattathias Maccabeus kills a fellow Jewish believer who was about to worship a statue of Zeus, the whole historical circumstances coming from Alexander the Great and the breakdown of his empire and all these crazy things that unfold, a revolution of Levitical men fleeing into the desert after they killed all the Greek soldiers and officials, and then war happens, and, oh, my goodness, Judas Maccabeus leads the troops, and they destroy over and over again, so unlikely, the Syrian army, and they carve out peace in their time. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. And then the son of Simon Maccabeus, Simon the Maccabee, the hammer, The son is named John Hyrcanus. Him and his two boys just decimate Samaria, and that's why the Samaritans absolutely hate Jews at the time of Christ. They decimate it. They destroy their fortresses. They salt some of their key crop fields, all this craziness. And it unfolds that that this guy, John Hyrcanus, goes south beneath Jerusalem to a land called Edom, or Edom. And these were hostile neighbors to the south, but they, you know, they were intermarrying, all this stuff. So when John Hyrcanus comes down, he says, listen, Edomites, you're no longer allowed to be Edomites. You're now Jews. And he forcibly circumcises all the men of Edomaea. Forcibly circumcised. Never happened in the history of Israel. It's a crazy story. It's a crazy story. You might be saying, Michael, why are you telling me about circumcision, forced circumcision? This is gross. It is. But it actually ties into Christmas because I'm telling the story of now this Maccabean line called the Hasmonean dynasty of Levites, not Judahites, ruling as both high priests in Jerusalem and as prince. And they're all corrupt. Uh, basically, once you get to the third generation, they're killing each other. They're doing all sorts of horrible. One guy locked his mom in a prison and starved her to death. Just horribleness. And then along comes one of these Levite princes and slash high priests and he claims the title of king so now he thinks he is fulfilling ancient prophecy by being a priest king the high priest but see he's not a jew he's a levite he's not allowed to call himself king only those in the house of david can call themselves kings And I'm telling this story in the prison, and I'm going through all these historical details and all of this stuff. I'm talking about the rededication of the temple under uh, Judas Maccabeus and how they threw off the shackles of the Syrian army and all these things. And for eight days, they celebrated the dedication of the temple. And when you read in the New Testament about the feast of the dedication, that's what they're talking about. The rededication, I guess we should say, is amazing and how it unfolds and all these things that happen. I talk a little bit about Hanukkah and the Talmud is the only thing that talks about oil burning for eight days. That's not in the book of Maccabees, First Maccabees chapter 4. But it's crazy because as it builds up and as it unfolds, you find Rome entering the story. So Protestants don't have this in our Bibles. We have this in our Bibles. Now Rome is intervening, and eventually Rome deposes the crazy last few Hasmoneans and favors an outsider who's been super friendly to Rome, favors this outsider who's been politically manipulating events, seizes the craziness that happens after uh, Julius Caesar is assassinated to climb to power in the east. Rome's not paying attention. Things are escalating, getting out of control And here's this one guy who seems to know the lay of the land and be a competent military person, a competent ruler, and Rome gives him the authority to be king of the Jews. And his name was Herod. Now, you might be thinking Herod had no rightful claim to be a king over the Jews. Well, here's the deal. If John Hyrcanus would not have gone so far as to forcibly convert the Edomians, we never would have had, maybe, we probably never would have had King Herod, because Herod was an Edomite. And now, according to John Hercanus, he was a Jew. And even crazier, he married the last Hasmonean princess, basically the last woman standing he marries to legitimate his reign, his rule, consolidate power. He wiped out half the Sanhedrin uh, because they plotted to kill him. Now, think about this. You're Herod, you're a foreigner who's been co-opted violently into Judaism, okay? So you, he kept kosher. He kept kosher. He did all this stuff. He fell in love, apparently. He fell in love with the Hasmonean woman, and he truly loved her and all this stuff. Of course, it didn't stop him from killing her, which he did, and some of her children. But, but I digress. But here's this one part. The Sanhedrin are sick and tired of having this edomaean rule from Jerusalem. So you know what they do? They go east, right outside Rome. To the Parthenians. And they say, Parthenians, come in. We'll make a deal with you if you help us kill this Herod guy and overthrow his rule. So the Parthenians come in, but they're defeated. Now, all of this, keep in mind, Herod goes crazy, kills his kids, kills a bunch of his sons. Octavius Caesar says it is better to be his pigs than to be his sons, which is true. He's paranoid, kills his wife, starves people. I mean, it's like four. Or Yeah, like 10 kids, four wives. I don't know. They're all dead. Everyone dies. Herod is insane. But then one day, imagine this, about 30 years later, after he wipes out the Sanhedrin for doing this deal with the Parthenians, all of a sudden, Magi, a name that could be magician, astrologer, wise man, but also king or ruler, three Magi or several Magi come from the east, right from where the Parthenians came. And they enter Jerusalem, and all of Jerusalem is a buzz, is a stir. Of course they are, because 30 years earlier, Herod wiped out the entire Senate of the Jews because of a plot that they had to overthrow him with the very same people. And here they are, walking in, and what do they say? A sign has appeared in the sky, show us the king of the Jews. I'm sure if he was Herod, he'd be looking at you like, you're looking at him. Rome says you're looking at him. I say you're looking at him. But here were these men motivated by their stargazing that something unique had happened. That there was a newborn king of the Jews. So what did Herod do to the Bethlehem innocents, to the Bethlehem sons? The same thing he did to his own sons. I mean, you know, the story of the slaughtering of the 2,000. Well, the plot thickens even more because according to some stuff that I was studying that Father David Hust kind of sent my way, I thought it was very interesting, can't really verify it too much, but it does sort of make sense Bethlehem is a rocky area, has a lot of caves. The nativity scene that we have today was popularized by St. Francis. It probably wasn't a stable. It was probably a cave where Mary had Christ, where Joseph tended to the Christ child. But here's the interesting thing. The shepherds were plentiful in that area, some people say. And if this is true, this is amazing, because often these were the sheep that were used in the temple sacrifice, that they were basically shepherded and raised and, and new calves were born in this area. So think about this. You have to offer an unblemished male lamb. So the story goes that when a sheep is first born, a ewe lamb comes out. They wrap it in swaddling cloth like a baby so that it doesn't injure itself in the first few days or weeks of life. And so here you have Jesus in Bethlehem, right, the, the house of bread, being laid in a food trough right next to lambs. That were raised for the sacrificial offerings of the temple. And that's why the shepherds make their way at this scene and worship Christ right there. I just think this stuff is so fascinating. It's so wonderful. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. It's middle. It's, the, it's literally 1214. I got to take my youngest son, Thomas, to the bathroom in about 15 minutes. He, if I don't take him pee, he will pee his bed, like, from across the room. This guy is amazing at this. So I thought, you know what, while I stay up, why don't we talk a little bit about Jesus? Why don't we celebrate the day that Christ entered into the world, claiming for himself our human nature, entering behind enemy lines so that we don't have to be his enemies any longer. I love christmas i love every aspect of advent me and my wife gave up alcohol for advent i thought i was gonna hate advent because i couldn't drink but i've realized something beautiful that expectation is worth it cultivating expectation in your heart is worth it yeah i'm getting a little preachy but i feel like there is so much in life that it is just so easy to binge right facebook videos autoplay Right, Netflix auto plays YouTube videos. Algorithm serves up the next video auto playing. That literally, if you want to not watch something, you have to intervene. You have to say no, in, because we're just in a binge-worthy universe. And I thought, with all of this nonsense kind of going along, we need to cultivate within our own hearts expectation, waiting. None of us have to wait for anything anymore. We got Uber Eats, and. Just the McDonald's drive through five minutes from my house. It's so beautiful, guys. It's so beautiful. I go to Chipotle, right, because I'm on this diet, a diet that allows Chipotle, okay? Don't knock it. I don't get the rice because I'm a gentleman. But I just, I have this gourmet meal served to me in a bucket in 14 seconds. It is amazing. But every so often I realize we're losing something when we live in a binge, a binge-worthy world, right? When everything is binging, everything is on demand, everything is at our fingertips, We're missing part of the joy, part of the experience of waiting. And so, me and my wife are going to enjoy a glass of red wine the day after Christmas, celebrating the day when God launched his Normandy invasion, not of humanity, but against sin, against death, and against destruction. I hope you have a beautiful Christmas, a merry Christmas. I hope everything is awesome. I hope Luke stops throwing up all of the good things that could possibly happen to you and to Luke's, you know, gastrointestinal tract, I hope happens. I love you all. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for sharing this stuff. And remember, when you feel like your sins have overwhelmed you, when you feel darkness, when you feel the depression and that low grade damned anxiety that we all seem to have all the time, I want you to remember something. Catching Foxes is your place for the world's best Catholic dick jokes. You're welcome. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere.